You guys, how cute are those kids? Man, uh, that is a video of Treaty Days in Fort Mackay a few years ago. It was created by a local artist, uh, Crystal Meckerdy. And, uh, you know, this, we show it, and we're going to talk just briefly about it, but this last week was um, Truth and Reconciliation Week here in Canada, the first one ever. Uh, it was a five-day national event highlighting the Every Child Matters movement, uh, highlighting residential schools and treaties dealing with First Nations, Métis, and Inuit land claims. And, and so to start today, let me take a moment. I would like to acknowledge that Fort City Church is built on tradi traditional Treaty 8 and Métis territory. And like Indigenous people across Canada, the Indigenous people in this area have been subjected to much mistreatment by the local, provincial, and federal levels of government, and often at the hands of very misguided Christians. The Holy Angels Residential School in Fort Chip only closed in 1974, uh, all year, only a year before this church uh, was built. Uh, Despite the mistreatment, the people in this area, the indigenous people in this area, have a rich history and culture and proven to be incredibly resilient. And myself, as a Métis person, uh, I've decided just to dive headfirst into learning all I can about the truth of our area and the history of this community that we live in. Truth and reconciliation, in other words, is knowledge and then action. It's not just enough to know something, because once you know, there must be action. And this is something that we take really seriously around here. Uh, for me, the last six months, I've done a really headfirst dive into indigenous literature and stories and podcasts, and they're often not very easy stories to be reading and to listening to. But I think even so, it's incredibly important for me to do that. Adrian and I have conversations with our two boys about residential schools and how it isn't really a distant, far-off tragedy, but that it's actually a very recent one with ongoing effects, one that has affected our own family tree. Um, this last Thursday, uh, Steph Manili invited my family to do an orange walk from the Center of Hope all the way to the Every Child Matters Memorial in front of City Hall, um, and where we smudged and prayed for our community. And here at Fort City, there almost, is, there almost isn't ever a week where on this stage a Métis or First Nations person isn't represented. Uh, we host blanket exercises that are led by YWAM, you know, to help get the truth of uh, our history of our area out there. And our church is part of a denomination called the Alliance in Canada. We have over 400 churches in Canada. And uh, in an effort to pave a way for more indigenous pastors in our denomination, uh, Pastor Doug, our pastor, uh, built from the ground up a program uh, that would help uh, a lay indigenous person, so just not a, not a person with any um, education or background, uh, a lay indigenous person get all the way to being able to become an ordained pastor within uh, the Alliance denomination. I'm actually the first one to be trying this. I'm the guinea pig. So far, it's going really well. Let's pray it keeps going really well. I'm a little bit behind. Don't tell Doug. Uh, he doesn't need to know that part. Oh, yeah, he is probably watching online right now. Sorry, Doug. Uh, I'll get caught up this week, I promise. The truth needs to lead to reconciliation. It's not just about knowing something it's about doing something, too. 
The knowledge must be followed by action. And this is a, a, a difficulty, a thing that we run into with our faith quite often. Uh, it's not just that we need to know about Jesus, we actually need to live like him too. Knowledge must lead to action. It's not enough to know the stories, to understand our faith intellectually, or to know the light. We have to live the stories and practice our faith and be the light in our communities. James didn't mince his words when he wrote this. He said, faith by itself is enough, isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. You guys, this is, this is a strong statement. Uh, it's an offensive statement even. Many church leaders throughout history thought that the book of James should actually be removed from the Bible because of how offensive they feel some of the things James said was. But it's still in there. James was never one to back down from what he thought was right. And so early in the first century, he wrote this book that we call the book of James. We call it the book of James, but really it is just a document that James sat down to write to help guide the early first century church into living and looking like Jesus. It sort of can be considered a manual for Christian practice in the world. And so for the next seven weeks... We're going to walk through this book of James, this very practical book in a series we're calling This Is What We Do. And James is the perfect person to tell us what it is that Jesus' followers do. But before we look too much at what James said, let's talk briefly about who James was. James was kind of a big deal in the early church. When the church was just in its infancy, uh, James was one of the people who gave it clear and steady leadership. He was highly expected, uh, respected by his contemporaries, people like Paul and Peter. And uh, his, he was leading this new movement called the church, something that we're a part of now. He was leading it, but he was a very early critic of Jesus and of the church because James was actually the half-brother of Jesus. And like any good brother does, he was hard on Jesus Mark tells us that Jesus and his brothers thought that he was straight up out of his mind. He said that his brothers thought he was crazy. And I mean, honestly, if we're being honest with each other, if you have a brother and they started saying the things Jesus said about himself, that he's the son of God, you'd consider him, your brother, pretty crazy too. I'm betting on it. James was there that uh, when his brother Jesus died on a tree. And he knew where his brother Jesus had been buried in the grave. And James sat with his grieving mother, Mary. And it's safe to assume, it's safe to guess, that James would be frustrated with his brother Jesus at this point. That he's, he's broken his mom's heart needlessly by, by, by being this radical person who ended up getting murdered on a tree. But then something happened. Jesus didn't stay in that grave that they put him in. And James, who once thought his brother was out of his mind, came face to face with his resurrected brother. And in that moment, Jesus became his resurrected Savior. And just look at the way uh, James decided to open up this document we're, we're talking about today. He was writing and he said, this, is a, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave of God, and his brother, Jesus. 
Andy Stanley says that James is one of the most convincing reasons why a person should consider the Christian faith. Just try to answer the question, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? What would it take for you to, to, to look at your brother and say, I am your slave? It would take a lot, right? I, I don't know if you've met my brothers. It would take a lot for me to be able to say that. But James did. And he spent the rest of his life leading the movement that his brother Jesus started. The movement that you and I are still part of here on this day. This is what we do. And throughout the message series, we're going to talk a lot about what it means to look like a Christian, like a Jesus follower, and not just to think like one. And we're going to talk about the things Christians should do. But before we get into that, I need to make just a quick disclaimer. Christians should do good deeds. People should know we are Christians by our love for one another and others. What Christians do is important. But doing good deeds doesn't make you a Christian. And it does not make God love you more. You cannot earn his love. It's a gift that we can't earn that he gives freely to each one of us. We love Jesus because he first loved us, not to earn the love of Jesus. Good deeds flow from a transformed heart. And in this series, we're going to talk a lot about what we should be doing, but don't confuse it for us saying you have to earn your salvation through good deeds. Okay. Let's see what James says to us in the very opening chapter of his document. He could have started anywhere, but this is where he starts. James 1, 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Well, that sounds fun. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The way James decides to start this document, this letter to the church, is to remind us that smooth seas don't make very good sailors. That troubles and failure and pain can be powerful instructors. And that the things that break us down sometimes are the very same things that are needed so that we can build back even better than before. And this past week, uh, we... Uh, in our soul care class, the topic was on forgiveness. And the soul care class it, it has been really amazing so far. And it's really got me excited about the soul care conference that we're doing uh, the weekend, the third weekend in October. And you guys, we're bringing up Doug and Terry Balzer from Calgary. Uh, they're incredible speakers. And they're going to focus the, you know, the, the conference on the seven principles of soul care. Let me tell you, at least one of those applies to each and every one of us, if not more. Uh, I cannot recommend that you take the time to sign up for that conference and be here for that. It's going to be really good. But we're doing a soul care class right now, separate from the conference. And this week, the topic was forgiveness. And, and some people shared that they had learned to kind of forgive easily. Uh, I'm kind of a person who has learned to really forgive easily. I've done a lot I've needed to be forgiven for, and so uh, I, I forgive easily. But some people shared how it's actually hard and difficult for them to forgive. It's a struggle. 
And my wife talked about uh, forgiving people doesn't come naturally to her. This is something I've learned in our 14 years of marriage. That uh, I, she, she said it, but I already knew it. Uh, it doesn't come naturally to her. To her. And she told the class this, this story that when she was younger, uh, when there was a person that she didn't like, somebody who uh, rubbed her the wrong way or somebody that kind of a, a frenemy or somebody she didn't like, that she'd actually pray for them that she would pray that God would give them patience. And the truth is, it sounds really sweet praying for someone that you don't like, but one of the things Adrian knew is that the only way to learn patience is to go through hard things. And so she's literally praying that God would give them patience, but what she's literally praying is that God will give them hard times. And so they have to learn to be patient. It, it's, it's actually diabolical. Uh, it's a diabolical sort of prayer. We know this, though, right? This, this, is the, this is the idea that we know, that to earn patience, to earn character, that, that you have to experience trouble and hard times. That we, we know that we often learn more from our failures than our successes. We know that character is built in the trenches. We know that fire refines. And James is kind of reminding us of something that we just kind of inherently know, that when our faith is tested, our endurance is given a chance to grow. And he's even challenging us to find joy in that struggle. A couple of years ago, Doug invited me to be part of the interview process for hiring a few inter, uh, interns around here. Uh, it's something I had never done before. I had no experience doing any interviews. interviews. And uh, we interviewed a bunch of different candidates. And, and a few candidates in, I started, there was a question that I kind of started asking each one of them. I tell them that in Psalm 23 that uh, David wrote that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And I ask them, what shadow of the valley of death have you walked through in your life? What, is, what has been your dark night of the soul? And was God there to meet you in it? Now, I got a lot of weird looks. It's a weird interview question. Uh, but I wanted to know, have you hurt? Have you suffered? Have you known defeat? Because I know that these things build character. And hard times have the potential to create men and women of strength and character. I trust a person more when I know that they've been through something terrible and come out on the other side. We know this. But the thing is, none of us want to suffer. None of us wants to hurt. Nobody wants Adrian to pray that they would receive patience. And yet James tells us that somehow we should find joy in the trouble. You might say, but James, James, you don't know. James, you don't know how hard the last couple of years have been. The world is in disarray, James. There are protests in the streets. People seem to hate each other. We're in the middle of a public health crisis that somehow turned into a political and social crisis. People hate each other, James. James, you don't get it. James, you don't know. There's no joy in that. Let me tell you about the church of the first century, the church that James was initially writing this document for. After Jesus was killed, his followers assumed that they would be next. And the truth is they were not wrong. In the first century, Christians were hunted down like wild animals. They were fed to lions in the Colosseum. They were covered in tar and lit on fire in Nero's gardens. 
They were publicly executed in the most heinous of ways. All of Jesus' disciples except John met their end in some terrible execution by the state. Even James, the guy we're talking about today, met his end at the end of an axe when Herod caught him and chopped off his head. In this world of danger and fear, the first century, the fear that you will be killed for just being a Jesus follower, James wrote these words. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, now don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not drawing a comparison between the tragedies of the early church and, and ours and saying they had it so bad that we shouldn't, you know, we should rise above because, you know, you should suck it up. It's not as bad as it was in the first century. That is, that's not what I'm saying. Your hurt, your pain, your struggles, your difficulties, they, they matter. I'm saying that somehow in the middle of all that horror in the early church, somehow they found joy in the middle of their mess. And all this time later, I think you and I can somehow find joy in the middle of ours, too. James knew that no one is safe from the pain of this life. But he also knew that people who follow Jesus can find purpose in their pain. James is following, uh, holding fast to a promise he had heard his brother Jesus say. A promise he once balked at. And thought his brother was crazy for saying, but now he reminds us of in his letter. It's when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is one of my least favorite and most favorite things Jesus had ever said. On the one hand, he's promising that life is going to be difficult. That you can expect trouble and hard times. But on the other hand, he's saying, don't worry. I've got this. You can trust in me. When the world seems like it's falling apart, when politics threaten to end long-standing friendships, when a pandemic seems to push each one of us to the brink, this is what we do. We trust in Jesus. We love our neighbors. We treat those we disagree with with dignity. We hope, we rise, we overcome. We see opportunity for joy in the trouble. We could let it divide us. We could let it beat us. We could let it overwhelm us. But that is not what we do. This is what we do. We follow the way of Jesus because nothing else will do. And that's something that James is quick to point out in the next bit of this letter that he wrote. He said, if you realize that Jesus' way is the better way, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but... When you ask him, we share your faith as in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. James, he's warning us. He says, when trouble comes to this world, the world is more happy to be able to provide us with all kinds of Jesusless alternatives to help us get through. There's no shortage of places to escape your troubles. You know, for some, it's really obvious drugs and alcohol. Others, it's pornography. Some people turn to Jesus-less alternatives like psychics or tarot cards or crystals, desperately searching for some meaning. And there's seemingly less sinister things that we escape with, overeating, video games, 
all kinds of other things that we try to ignore our troubles with. They numb, they distract, they help us to forget, but they can never replace the purpose and peace that comes from following Jesus. And just before I finish this morning and, uh, and we get out of here, I, I want to tell you one last story. In this last summer, we signed up my 12-year-old son, Justice, for a five-day backwoods, horseback wilderness adventure. And when I say backwoods, like I, I mean backwoods. And where we dropped him off, there was more grizzly bears and cougars in the area than there were people. Uh, it was in the Nor- uh, Caroline Mountains, just kind of uh, east of Nordegg, west of Sylvan Lake, just in the middle of nowhere uh, out in that area. And the drop point was in the bush. And we're driving, and we're driving for a long time, and then we get to where we're supposed to turn, take a left onto an old uh, logging trail road, a dirt road that ended up winding up and down and through mountains, and there was parts of it that were washed out. And, and we drove for over an hour, probably an hour and a half, after we lost cell service. So, like, we were in the bush. And, uh, and you know, I'm not the sort of parent that worries too much about anything. Uh, and, and so on the web, but I was a little worried about this, right? That's out there. And, uh, and so I, on the website, I was feeling better because on the website, they had said they have electric fences um, in, in the backwoods area that the, protect from the animals. And uh, when we got there, uh, there was this kind of really experienced, uh, stereotypical cowgirl uh, waiting for us. And she had the hat and the boots and the straw hanging out of her mouth. And she, she, knew, she knew what she was doing. She, you could tell this person was a veteran. And we were getting Justice set up in his tent. There's only eight other kids at this camp. We're getting him set up in his tent. And I'm kind of looking around, and I, I look at this lady, this, this cowgirl, or cowwoman. I don't know. I don't know if what, it, what's, what you're supposed to say. Cow person. <laughs> and, uh, and I look at her, somebody who clearly knows what she's doing. And I'm like, hey, uh, where's that electric fence that was on the website? And she's like, oh, it's, it's, around, it's over there around the pen the horses are in. The electric fence was there to protect the horses from cougars and bears, not the 12-year-olds. You guys, I had like a mini panic attack. And I know I didn't need to, but I was just like, I can't leave him here. And then we're driving away and it happened again. I looked at Adrian and I was like, are we really leaving? Are we going to leave him here? We left him there. And uh, five days later, we drove back. And we picked him up, and as he walked up to the van with a piece of straw hanging out of his mouth, bumps and bruises, but alive. And with a new found sense of confidence that I've never seen him with before. He survived the bears and the grizzlies and the cougars, even without an electric fence. And you guys, the truth is, you and me, that we are out here in the wild. And it feels wild these days. It's a world full of cougars and bears and trouble around every corner. And it can be easy for us to put our trust in things that make us feel safe, that give us a false sense of security, that we can look for electric fences to protect us. 
But James reminds us to put our faith in God alone. He knows what he is doing. He is the grizzled, steely-eyed veteran that can guide us through this life and give us the courage to overcome and the grit to endure. If you've never decided to put your faith in Jesus, you can do that today. You can do that anytime. And if you did a long time ago, but you've found yourself blown and tossed by the wind, you can decide again today to put your faith in him. This is what we do. We put our faith in him. And he gives purpose to our pain. You guys, let me take a moment to pray for us. Jesus, we just take a moment and to thank you, to thank you for your faithfulness to each one of us. That you have, uh, you have promised us that uh, trouble will come our way, and you have lived up to that promise. But Jesus, you have also pro- promised that you, will over- you have overcome the world, and that you will be with us. And that is a promise you have kept as well. And Jesus, I pray for each one of us as we head out into a world full of grizzly bears and cougars, things that seek to harm us, things that will hurt us, lives that are full of struggle and trouble and pain. And Jesus, we would not forget this promise that you are with us. And that somehow in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our mess, that we would count it joy to experience that trouble because we know that when we do, when we do it with you, that we become our better selves, that we overcome, that we endure, and that we eventually, our endurance is fully developed and made perfect and complete needing nothing. Jesus, I pray a blessing over each one here today, and I just pray that you would give them courage and grit and uh, to live like you, to be the sort of Christians who love their neighbors, uh, to be the sort of Christians who, who go the extra mile, and to be the sort of Christians who don't back down in the face of a scary world. I pray this in your holiest of names. Amen.